Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talk with Carlos Rodriguez. Carlos is the founder of The Happy Givers and the author of the book, Drop the Stones, When Love Reaches the Unlovable. You can get connected with Carlos and his work in the links in the episode description. I also want to personally invite you to Theology Beer Camp this October 12th through the 15th, 2022 in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Theology Beer Camp is a time for you to meet some of your favorite theology podcasters, sip on your favorite beverages, and nerd out. You'll meet people like Pete Enns, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, Trip Fuller, and even me. And if you register with the link in the episode description and use the promo code APT, you can receive $50 off your ticket. Theology Beer Camp. Come thirsty, get nerdy. I hope to see you there. Today, I have Carlos Rodriguez with me. I've never met you, Carlos, but we've interacted for a while now on Twitter, and we've tried very, very hard to make this interview happen for a very long time, and I'm really excited that we (laughs) finally made it. Uh, So anyway, with all that said, who would you say Carlos Rodriguez is to Carlos Rodriguez? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's how you start? Starting him out with a little softball. (laughs) So... I always do this because it's kind of hilarious to people. But my full name is Carlos Alberto Rodriguez Sostertiz Rivera Pagan Burgo Pardo Garcia Caquia Nazario. That's a sentence. That's uh, I'm speaking in tongues now. That's that is my <laughs> full name, um, and it's because from the area where my dad is from in the southwest of Puerto Rico, we're basically so women don't lose their last name. You just get married and okay. you just add last name. So Rodriguez Soster is my dad's first last name, my mom's second first last name. And then you just, it's basically Ancestry.com, Puerto Rican style. Just, yeah, you know, on your last name. We just keep, yeah. And I've actually met a dude in Raleigh when I was pastoring a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, who had one of my last names. We started talking about it. He's like, my dad is from this city. I'm like, I grew up in that city. And then our parent, his dad and my dad were first cousins. So we're second cousins, literally. Wow. A random dude in Raleigh, North Carolina. Isn't that and you're able to just figure no. that out based on your last names. On on our last names. And, you know, it's a, it is a smaller island. So, right. so I will talk a lot about Puerto Rico because that's where I'm at. Yeah. That's where I was born and raised. I've lived about 40% of my life between Lakeland, Florida, Toronto, Canada, Raleigh, North Carolina. The rest of my life has been here in Puerto Rico. I am now in Puerto Rico living here. I lead the Happy Givers nonprofit. I'm here in our beautiful container shipping container um and yeah we do work i lead a nonprofit. i love rice and beans um and i think my favorite thing about twitter is when you intentionally post something beyond hilarious <laughs> and offensive <laughs> it's gotta you know, be highlight of twitter life it, it's funny i i think some people think that like i put a lot of intentionality around it and honestly <laughs> it's like just stuff when i'm like sitting on the toilet and uh, it's just a thought that comes up to me, you know, just it comes to me. The spirit moves. And I think the best part is when 15 people are like, Mason. Yeah, that's my Mason. favorite. That's when I know I've hit a good one. 
<laughs> I've struck the right nerve it's when that like happens. It's like people who love you and people who hate you. It's like the same. Mason. Mason. Yep. <laughs> so great. Well, let's talk about your last book, Drop the Stones. Okay. It came out back in 2017. Normally, I do books right when they come out. I talk with people yeah. about their books right when it comes out. Uh, but I actually really want to chat about this book, even though it came out about five years ago. Yeah. Uh, you, you've written a little bit before, but what did you learn about yourself as you wrote Drop the Stones? And uh, again, it's been five years. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself since those five years? So what did you learn about yourself as you wrote the book? And then yeah. what have you learned about yourself in those five years after? Yeah, thank you for asking. So basically, I was discovering my voice outside of having to be these wool. I'm brown, but. I was trying to be a white evangelical pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm. And I was trying to say the right things and even trying to act the right way, worship the right way. I couldn't get to the voting the right way, according to my surrounding, which was at that time, the Trump era was starting, right? Like all this language about, mm -hmm. yeah, the Trump era. It was, it, it was new. It was different. It was beyond me. Um, I was glad for my African-American friends in North Carolina who were like, why are you surprised about Trump winning? Of course he would win. Like, this is welcome to America. We were all like, I can't sleep. Trump won. And they're like, what? This is this is our this is how our nation was founded by guys right. like him. And so in that journey of pastoring a church of people that I love, of people that I care for. And in that journey of learning, as you're asking, like learning about myself, like I'm actually not this. I think it's Rob Bell who has this concept about the South Star. And mm, so I think I've heard that before from him. Ten years in Raleigh were my South Star. Basically, we're all looking for a North Star. Like, where am I headed? What's my 10-year goal? What do I really care about? Who really am I? I learn where I'm meant to go by figuring out what I'm definitely not. And I would say 10 years in an evangelical, white, charismatic church in Raleigh, North Carolina told me I, I'm actually not good at being a pastor. I'm actually definitely not a conservative Republican. I'm definitely, I definitely don't believe in like, what, you mean like all my brown friends who didn't pray the prayer to be the Grand Crusade are going to hell? Like, wait, I definitely don't believe that. I definitely, right? So it was mostly what I didn't agree, what I didn't want as a pastor, as a leader, as a husband, as a father. And that got me to, actually, this is what I want. And mm. I would say Drop the Stones was the beginning of turning around from, I don't want to be any of this. I do want to be more like, and that's the story of John 8. The woman is caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders, of course, don't bring the man, just bring the woman. We are going to, the law says, and then let's literally murder her publicly mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, um, you know, fulfill the law of God. And I realized then that's definitely not what I want to be. Right. And that was the beginning of that journey. So Drop the Stones really was the beginning of me realizing I don't want to be this. I want to be that. And it, I, I hopefully look a little bit more like that Jesus, that version of Jesus in John 8. Mm -hmm. So in the last five years, then, you've been moving towards what you do want to be. You're not in that turning yeah. phase anymore. So what have you learned about yourself in that time <laughs> of your life, these last five years of being what you want to be? Yeah. So. If I go back to that story of John 8, at the beginning of me sharing that story was, okay, I don't want to be the religious leader throwing the stone. 
And then I'm like, I want to be more like, oh, then then it was like, I'm more like the woman who was caught in the act of, well, I have all this messes in my life. I need a lot of therapy. I have so many issues. I want to go and sin no more. And then I realized, no, who I want to be is I want to follow Jesus who actually destroyed the religious system that would have killed this woman, right? So I, when I wrote Drop the Stones, where I wanted to get to is I want to get to the, you know, go and sin no more. I want to be that preacher that is about grace, but eventually I want to make sure that people go and sin no more. Mm. Like I would say even now I'm beyond that. Like I just want to make sure there's no oppressive religious political systems that are oppressing people in a level that would literally take their lives because they didn't Mm -hmm. like check this mark that they assume should be checked. Right. So I'm definitely, and I'm working on my, next book which i'm doing a terrible job at it which is flip the tables i'm i feel like and even in the story of jesus of being because this is all happening in jerusalem right the religious capital of the jewish people and he goes from the drop the stone scene to the flip the table scene right which is really where i feel in my heart we're at as an organization as a person as a human as a christian but i would still guess call myself that i love that so like you mentioned before Drop the Stones is really centered around the story of the woman caught in adultery. And I would imagine you did a lot of research on that passage if you're going to write an entire book about it. So was there anything in that research for that passage that came up, you know, as you're researching that you had no idea about that passage before? I'm sure you've read it and heard it at church hundreds of times before. But was there anything in the research where you're like, wow, I had no idea that that was a part of this passage? Yeah, uh, something as basic as the law in Leviticus is actually male and female who should have been brought to Mm. be stoned, which in itself is insane to even think about that. And the actual stoning, what they would do is they would dig up a hole that was deep enough for somebody to be like waist level. Okay. So, and then they would fill the hole again. So you're kind of stuck on the earth. So it's almost like you're like in purgatory. You've been found guilty. Let's get you to that place. And it's in the casting the stones. And they would start with the younger little ones. That's why it says that like the older men left first because it's kind of backwards of the sequence. It was usually the younger ones that would go first. They would get kids like, here's how you learn how not to be like that horrific woman. Come here. Come here, baby boy. Let's boom, boom, little stones. And they would start with the little stones, heavier stones, the older men who would be like. And so, yeah, the, the story is horrific in so many ways. And it talks a lot about, you know, (laughs) <laughs> the Leviticus and the Levitical law and all that sort of stuff and how much has been used, unfortunately. Actually, while I'm writing the book, I have this professor of New Testament from um, Duke University. His name is Douglas Campbell. He's like super great at writing about Paul, like the affirming, welcoming nature of Paul. Mm-hmm. Great writer. And he intentionally invited me. I'm living in North Carolina and I drive up this road, Mason, that has the Confederate flag and signs of thank you, Jesus, on the same house, right? Like, mm-hmm. like no problem. Like, that's normal. And to me, it's obviously not. And I'm driving down. As I'm driving down this road, it's because I'm going to, I'm going to um, uh, this prison that I would do ministry at. I would do, like, workshops, and I would do all these um, meetings with all these prisoners in Butner Prison, federal, federal prison. And as I'm driving down this road, he called me, and he talked to me about, hey, before going to prison, stop at this place called Skagsville, which is a plantation, um, one of the biggest plantations in the South. 
And to make the long story short, he said, go through every Bible verse you can find that justifies, even encourages slavery, not just Old Testament, but even in the New Testament. Because it's easy to say that's Levitical law, so we can kind of disregard it. But there's actually stuff in the New Testament we need to have some serious conversations about, right? Right. So he's like, find every single Bible verse that would say justify, validate, even encourage slavery, Old Testament, New Testament. Go to Skaggsville. There's this lady that will give the tour. She's an African-American lady. Tell her Douglas Campbell said, I need 10 minutes in the slave quarters to just read something. And basically, I do the tour. I get to this place, this little spot where hundreds of people lived, died, raped, murdered. And he said, ask her permission. She'll understand. I did. She's like, Douglas sent you. And I start going through all the Bible verses that validate, that encourage, that justify slavery, Old Testament, New Testament, to really know, do I want to be biblical or do I want to follow Jesus? Mm. Because we can always find, right? So that, that, so going back to drop the stones, I learned a lot about how incredibly easy it is to find whatever it is that we're comfortable with already or uncomfortable with, whether sin or holy lifestyle, to find Bible verses to justify it and to oppress people with it. Because ultimately, it should have been the male and the female that should have been stoned. Right. The fact that they're only bringing the woman means they're just as stupid and as bad and as ridiculous at following the law. They themselves suck at following the law that they're trying to force on other people. Right. And that was liberating for me. And yeah. so I've, I've tried to trying to live that life. So as you bring that up, that like actually really wants like I, I've really been thinking about this lately where it really reframes this story where mm-hmm. I honestly think that it's likely that the men, because they didn't bring the man, sure. I think these these men were trying to frame her. Probably one of them was the one sleeping with her. Right. So, in fact, one of my Twitter mutuals, uh, her name is Amber Benson. She describes yeah. a story not as the woman caught in, in adultery, but as okay. the story of the men who got caught throwing stones. Yes. Which it. I think is a really great love refraining. It. So anyway, I'm curious, like what you think about that, about po- the possibility that these men were actually trying to frame this woman. Yeah, very possible. I mean, so this is me because it's happened to me. Unfortunately, I've been caught in the act of dot, dot, dot. Uh, in a lie, in an exaggeration. As a preacher, I had to legitimately like force myself. I'm Puerto Rican. I have a British wife. Um, by nature, our cultures are super different. And when I was when I would be sharing somewhere, public speaking, preaching, whatever, it was just so tempting to say 300 instead of 200, which was the actual number of people that were there. And I'm like, and then 300 people, and then and I had to like like I had to have a deep forceful conversation with my wife where she was like you keep exaggerating which is lying stop doing it and i'm gonna be at the front and every time it happens i'm gonna call you out from the front like woman (laughs) (laughs) right and so i get that almost like um irrational fear which is true maybe one of them got caught in the act of adultery with that woman, what do you do? No, 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 no. She was, and let's frame her. It probably was one of them or somebody that they know. They're trying to frame her maybe for other reasons. Maybe she's one of these liberal women that's not following the law. So let's make an example of her. Maybe she never actually, I don't know. I don't, maybe she never committed adultery. Maybe she did. And who gives a crap? Like, you know, why are we trying to get into each other's business? And so... The whole point for me personally, because I was so, I was just so in that world and I was so in that world 
and I have a little bit of grace for myself because, you know, it was my salary. Right. Playing that role and being a mascot for a white church to say, you see, we're not that racist. Carlos is on staff. He's our lead pastor. Like I played the game just as much for their sakes as for my sakes. And so I try to have grace for people in the journey because I was fully in that freaking world taking advantage of that world, mm -hmm. getting into green rooms because of that world, getting on platinum medallion status because of that world, right? And, and I took advantage of it. And I have to be so self-aware and have my family, my friends keep me self-aware. Sometimes we're not good at that. And, and so, yeah, I would agree because I understand. Sometimes I really do relate, unfortunately, to the men. And what it, well, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll get really spiritual. I get really biblical to frame somebody else so I can get away with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So obviously this story is, you know, centered around adultery, but sure. there are so many reasons why religious people, especially Christians, many Christians, sure. Sure. there's many reasons why they are the ones throwing the stones. And so mm -hmm. let's chat about all the different kinds of reasons why many mm. Christians, especially are condemning mm. people in our day and age. Um, so not necessarily about adultery, but there's many, many other reasons. So yeah, talk a little bit about some of the reasons that you've experienced in your life of why Christians are condemning uh, people and throwing, yeah. throwing their, you know, metaphorical stones at them. Yeah, I mean, the, the two easier ones, right? The pinnacle of white evangelicalism is abortion and homosexual lifestyle. Those are like the pinnacles. Like, right. those are the two. If you've, done, if you've been involved in any shape or form, actually, if you're a hero, heterosexual man who has never been part of an abortion, but you even slightly suggest that they're not that bad, you're just as bad. Even that, right? right. Even a little bit of affirmation, even a little bit of care. So, but that's minimal. I, I, especially in the Latino community, coming out as somebody who's fully affirming, who has people on staff. I have a, a, a woman who's a lesbian who's on staff. I mostly go and speak at events and churches that are fully affirming. Like, I'm not just going to waste my time with a crowd. So I, I have to be, I have to be fully aware of what we were talking about, the journey to get to that place, because I was in that journey and I needed people that, to have some sort of grace with me as I'm progressing in that journey. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I think, and going, unfortunately, I've mentioned Trump twice, which is the last thing we want to do, but the Trump era defined some stuff for me. I would say, maybe I shouldn't say this publicly, but there was a gift in the Trump era, which was the gift of clarity. Mm. Like, that's what you think about Black people? You can't even say Black Lives Matter? Like, we're going to have a whole theological discussion about all lives matter, Black lives matter? clearly define that racism wait that's what you think about immigrants like what that's what you think about clearly defined line on xenophobia right that's what you really think about you think that somebody who from childhood in in their sexuality has been attracted to the same sex they're going to spend all of eternity burning in hell clearly defined line right, right. so in a way the breaking of all those relationships with what, you know, where all my white friends, as our friend under Henry would say, losing all my white friends with the definition was helpful, was liberating. It was part of the South Star of being like, that's definitely not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. That's definitely not how I want to share about Jesus. That's definitely not where I want to spend my time, my money, my efforts, any of that. And so that definition was helpful for me to then say, okay, I'm back in Latin America. I have a... A, a kind of biggish audience through our nonprofit, the Happy Givers, 
social media, whatever. I get, I still get to do events. I'm on different podcasts all the time. As a Latino man, I am fully one trillion percent affirming. I absolutely, and and being able to just say that freely, mm. and who cares of the consequences? Couldn't care less, really. I feel more free than ever. Like where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I feel more free than ever as I'm able to proclaim that. And then I think, my gosh, really? Like we're still here that I have to make that like a statement. Can mm -hmm. we please move on already? How is this not like how it is for everybody, for every human being in the world to be loved, to be accepted, to be served, to be seen for who they are, valued for who they are. Can we literally all drop the stones? Um, and yet, you know, here we are still having mm -hmm. to talk about it, still having to address it, still having to lose relationships because of it. So it's kind of wild. Right. You've talked a little bit about how this story should shape, you know, the way we understand Jesus, the way we yeah. should understand our theology, but how should it also shape our politics even? Mm. You know, I, I know we don't necessarily want to say, well, you should be a liberal Democrat or whatever. And it certainly doesn't seem like a, a story like uh, like this would want you to be a conservative Republican, but it does seem <laughs> like it has a political nature to it, right? Like yeah. this was this oh. event happened in public, so there is yeah. just by its nature some sort of politics happening here. And so I'm just curious how you think it should shape our politics in our day. Yeah, one trillion percent. It is very intentional that it's at the temple. The crowds have gathered for this event this holy event. And at the end, Jesus breaks the Billy Graham rule because it's only him <laughs> and the woman. Like literally, this woman that was just caught in the act of adultery who everybody would say, that's the last person you want to be caught alone with. There's Jesus with that woman. Mm. And she's not praying the sinner's prayer. She's not, none of that happens. He asks her the question, who is here condemning you? Nobody, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. There's this private interaction that is happening in what would most of our evangelical friends say, you shouldn't do that. And that's, that's a little bit of the church politics, right? The Billy Graham rule being one, one that I have five sisters. I'm the only boy. I've always been more comfortable around my whole, like most of my team is strong female leaders who I love, who call me out, who challenge me, who are, you know, co-leaders with me here. And so, yeah, the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, as you're saying, going back to that, is like, it is a political story. It, it is a culture story. It is a story that affects how people relate to each other. How liberating would it have been for every one of those females in that crowd to see Jesus like stop a woman from being murdered? It's so undignified. Again, if you think of the way of like being half buried right. into the ground and the time it takes, it's just so liberating. It's so welcoming. It's a new way to see life, to see gender, to see relationships, to see religion. And so that's what I've fallen into, right? Um, God, do I have to, am I on my third Trump mention? Yes. So when Hurricane Maria came through Puerto Rico, that's the first time, and I'm sad to say I'm a slow learner, where like, oh my gosh, the conservative politics of this horrible man, it's actually costing people's lives. Mm. Like it was, it was as simple as the hurricane came, Trump showed up, threw paper towels at a crowd, said, everything's fine. I'm the best thing that happened to Puerto Rico. Everything's fine. It's not even as half as bad as the other hurricanes. I came, because I was still living in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I came on my first trip three weeks after the hurricane. I met a man in the town of Quebradillas who lived by himself, an elderly gentleman, 
He didn't have his dialysis medication. My second trip, two weeks later, five weeks after Maria, I came back. That gentleman had passed away because mm. the response was so atrocious, so ungodly. So, I mean, and it was an intentional, they're fine. We'll take our time. They got tons of, and he would say, there's just a bunch of corrupt politicians because they didn't agree with him. So they're a bunch of corrupt politicians and they'll sort themselves out. So I know people who died, actually, more people died post-Maria than during Hurricane Maria. Mm. And that is a direct correlation to how the Trump administration responded. And worst of that, worst of all, is not just that, well, that could be expected of somebody like him, but so many of my Christian evangelical friends who were my friends, because he said that, then they're like, okay, you're fine. Why are you even going to Puerto Rico? Like the army will get there. They'll be fine. They have to sort their stuff out. So we ourselves as an organization stop receiving funding, volunteers, then people, not just like, okay, I'm going to shut up and not help you. No, no, you're like, what you're showing us about Puerto Rico is not true because Trump said. And so I, I experience in the flesh with my, who are my neighbors, a direct coloration between not calling out these political agendas, this oppressive government that is bringing people down. We, we saw it, we experienced it. And so I'm compelled to hopefully stop the crowd from murdering people mm -hmm. and say, you drop your stones and sort your shit out. Cause you know, anyways, it was terrible. Yeah. A little bit ago, you mentioned the end of the story where Jesus tells her go sin no more. And mm -hmm. I am like, you know, I often hear from like more conservative evangelical types of, sure. well, she actually did sin and that Jesus is telling her not to sin. And sure. I'm kind of wondering I think he might have been a little sarcastic in saying that because he does. He says, I'm not yeah. condemning you. And then I'm not to condemning. Go, say, go sin no more. And I kind of wonder if it was this little like him trying to make a joke about, hey, I'm not condemning you, uh, but, you know, still do, do more, no more sin or whatever, even though I really don't think that you even did any sin. Like, I think I, I really think yeah. Jesus also thinks that she was framed. And so yeah. anyway, I'm just curious, like what you think around that phrase ghosts and no more, because it seems to be weaponized by a lot of conservative evangelicals, even though at least my interpretation is, I think he was just being sarcastic. Yeah. I, I mean, I've never thought of it that way. I hope I would have thought of it that way. And then I could have called it drop the stones or go and sin no more in quotation mark. <laughs> that would have been one of the chapters. So if I am talking to a slightly more conservative crowd, well, the approach I try to take is if you want to get to go and sin no more, can you please start with destroying the oppressive systems that are using scripture to literally murder people? Can mm -hmm. you stop trying to use your selected Bible verses to make transgender youth feel like shit so that then they commit suicide? Can we do that part first? Because that's how, if we want to talk about sequence, that's how Jesus did it. Yeah. And then we can get to the go and sin no more part. So that if I'm talking to a more conservative crowd, that's where I would go. If I'm talking to a friend, and I'll consider you my friend now, and we can talk as friends, I would Great. say- And I'll person, need to come to Puerto Rico sometime and we can hang it's, out. It's a done deal. I would bro. love it. It's a, done, it's a done deal. You're more than welcome. Lovely. I'm not being cute. It's real. You're more than welcome. I would say there are things in my freaking life, behaviors, patterns, bad attitudes. If you want to call them sin, to use some of that biblical language, that's fine. But there is crap in my life that I need to sort out that I need therapy for, that I need to be called out for my friends, that I need to correct for the sake of my wife and my children. You know, 
it was one of those statements that I used to say a lot when I would preach like, God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are, right? That's kind of like mm. love the sinner, hate the sin type of thing. It's a little bit nicer that. And even though in more of the theology of whether heaven or hell, I'm done with that. We're all going to heaven. It's going to be awesome. I'm so happy for that reality and that belief. Universal. It's just universal salvation. If Jesus died, he paid for the price. If I'm going to be a Christian that believes in that whole, like Jesus died, we're all going to heaven. But if I'm just talking like sin that affects the people I love, and we use the word sin or behaviors or unhealedness or whatever, I do want, I do want an expression of Christianity that liberates me enough to then invite me, like, dude, just go deal with that. Like, that's actually like really unhelpful. Like the way you talk to your wife is not cool. Go and sin no more. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I do want to maintain some sort of like invitation for accountability mm -hmm. from people like Jesus who have fully liberate you to be fully yourself and not be judged by anybody else to then there be space to like, you need to deal with your crap, bro, because it's actually unhelpful crap. And, mm -hmm. you know, the people you love, you don't want your kids to carry that. You don't want your wife to pay for that. And, and so that's, that's my approach from the conservative side, like deal with all this stuff before you get to it. And from a personal side, then it would be more like, yeah, I, I like, I appreciate that. I was listening to a podcast. This is so random, Mason. Smartless with Will Arnett and the guy from Ozarks. It's like those three guys. They have a podcast called Smartless. It's kind of famous. Three guys having a podcast? Never heard of that. Really? <laughs> You're telling me there are three men out there that have a podcast? <laughs> Three white dudes that have a podcast. Three white guys having a podcast. <laughs> Mind-blowing. It's funny, though. They're friends. Jason Bateman, that's who it is. Jason right. Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean something. And they were interviewing Bradley Cooper and a fourth white guy. <laughs> the fourth white guy on this podcast. Anyways, it was really lovely because... Bradley Cooper, you remember when he started his career and, and he's uh, just even before Hangover, the Wedding Crashers was like his role. Mm -hmm. He was this, the biggest douchebag ever. He did it so well because he actually was that. And he's sharing the story of how he was just a humongous douchebag and he's calling people out and he's making jokes at everybody else's expense. And then they were at a party together when they weren't that famous. And Will Arnett the next day was like, hey, Bradley, how do you think that went that party? And Bradley was like, I killed it, man. Like, people loved it. He's like, you're an asshole. Like, that was so unhelpful. Nobody was really enjoying your presence. And Bradley says he was, a, he was addicted to cocaine during that season. Mm -hmm. He absolutely hated himself. And Will Arnett calling him an asshole, knowing that he loved him, like he cared for him as a friend, was the beginning of his journey. He gets into rehab, and now he's like a different person creating awesome art, you know? And so... Uh, going back to the go and sin no more, I think there is space for that to be right. in the space of liberation, of zero judgment, of of loving you as you are. Maybe it's okay to call each other out on a few things. Right. Lovely. This episode of A People's Theology is brought to you by United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Are you considering exploring your faith more deeply, or are you called to ministry but haven't found a seminary that is quite right for you? When you come to United, you join a community that is intentionally open, socially aware, and theologically adventurous. United's passion is equipping leaders to make real, lasting change in the world through their many different degree programs, whether your vocation is in faith leadership, nonprofit leadership, academia, the arts, 
activism, or social entrepreneurship. And the best news is you don't have to uproot your life to attend seminary. United offers maximum flexibility to fit your schedule. Attend on campus or online, part-time or full-time. Their leading distance learning technology allows students to be active in the classroom and engaged with the United community. Want to learn more? Visit unitedseminary.edu forward slash a people's theology or click the link in the episode description and receive a $1,000 scholarship when you apply and are admitted. United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, training leaders to dismantle systems of oppression, care for the spiritual needs of a multi-faith world, and push the boundaries of theology. You have already alluded to this a few times, but you moved back to Puerto Rico a few Mm -hmm. years ago. And I'm sure you're somebody who is changing a lot based on your experiences in your life. And so I'm curious, how has your theology changed or evolved because of your move back to Puerto Rico, yeah. uh, if, if it has changed at all? I'm just kind of curious, theologically, what, what's changing in the life of Carlos Rodriguez because of your move? Yeah, that's good. I've definitely come to appreciate way more the undercurrent of the liberation theology language mm. that our amazing Catholic brothers and sisters up in the mountains, you know, up in the barrios. You know, the Oscar Romero type language of mm. like the gospel to liberate the poor, to bring down these abusive governments. And so it's like this really beautiful validation of something that was there culturally in my life. That's always been there. Right. Because I wasn't raised in an evangelical home. I was raised in a culturally Catholic home. Mm. And so that's been really good for those things that were already in here because of who I am as a Puerto Rican to now have this more language mixed with scripture, mixed with the gospel, whatever. So that's been really good. And so that's become, that's been more of a fuel to intentionally be like, well, what does liberation look like on a day to day? Cause mm. it looks like awesome tweets. It looks like, you know, it looks like really good conversations like this one, but how does it look like for the person who's literally hungry, who's literally thirsty, who's actually losing their home? What does mm. it look like for the people who are losing rights instead of gaining rights? Um, and so that's what we try to do here. Like, we have these conversations that are important. But how do those conversations affect my actual neighbor, like mm. next door? Um, and so living here in this community, you know, nobody has to feel sad for me. I'm not like a missionary, like intentionally trying to be poor, you know, to help the poor. But I am living in an impoverished community. There's a lot of crime. It's a beautiful ocean and it's beautiful weather. And so I'm in this in this space of, being a happy giver, trying to live out this literal statement of like, it's my joy to give. I find Mm. purpose, meaning in giving, whether the cameras are on or not, different to when I was a pastor, where it had to be with the cameras on. Right. And so, so much of my experience with other humans, so much of my experience with God, so much of my experience with my own family has been, has shifted because I am living in a marginalized community. I am fully experiencing power outages all the time, not having clean water, not having enough food, prices soaring. So if you feel inflation in the States, 8%, it's always double in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. I'm a second-class citizen in America. I have an American passport, but I can't vote for the president. I actually pay more taxes now living in Puerto Rico than when I lived in the States, right? So like, in a way, I am immersed in the reality of these experiences that I talk about. And, and, and in no shape or form does that make what I say more important. Oh, because he's really in the margins, whatever. None of that crap. It's just my reality. This is where I live. Mm-hmm. This is what I experience. And hopefully this is how the gospel can transform 
what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. You've alluded to this also a few times. Uh, you mentioned it around Trump's response to Puerto Rico after the hurricane and sure. everything. But we often hear a lot about decolonizing these days, you know, decolonize this, mm. decolonize that. But mm. I don't think a lot of Americans realize that the U.S. is still imperially occupying Puerto Rico. And I know Puerto Rican independence is a complex issue, even among Puerto Ricans. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, like, how does a Jesus-styled love, as you would put it, how should that shape the way we navigate decolonizing American imperialism of Puerto Rico? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for asking and even verbalizing that way. That, you know, that actually means a lot because most people don't know. Puerto Rico, Guam, American Samoa, U.S. Virgin Islands, we're colonies of the United States. Mm. I have cousins, I have uncles who have been to war for, with the American flag, who come back and live impoverished lives without the right to vote for the president, their commander-in-chief, with no representation in Congress. We are taxed but not represented in any list of, if you consider Puerto Rico part of the U.S., in every list we're at the bottom. In federal funding, in poverty, in healthcare, in education, we're, we're like by a lot, right? 47% of the people surrounding me live in poverty, mm-hmm. under the poverty line. That's half of my neighbors, half of the kids that go to school with my kids. That's half of the people that we work with, half of our employees. They, that's where they live, right? So how do I, as a Puerto Rican, try to not just encourage Puerto Rico with words, but actually like put my life, my sweat, my money, my resources, my company, my nonprofit, my brand to the service of the people that, right, are here in Puerto Rico who are living. We talk about that language, right? Even that language, decolonization. I live in a colony of the United States of Mm. America, and I fully experience what it is to be in a colony of the United States of America. So it's been helpful a little bit with the gospel, right? Because in a way, that was what um, Israel was to Rome uh, in a more extreme case, of course. You know, and so in the context of that, that's where Jesus was walking, ministering, eating, feeding. He's surrounded by poverty and by need. And that's why it was so important to feed the 5,000 because they went three days without food and something as simple as that. And this is a, a funny thing that I've been struggling with, Mason. Sometimes we're using, we're having these really important conversations about decolonization, short term mission trips, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I'm part of those conversations on Twitter and social media, which are important conversations. But then I have people who are hungry and I'm like, I don't care where the money comes from. Where the, I just need food to feed these people. Right. Right. So there's these important conversations that we need to be having about white savior complex or whatever. But there's also like, can these white conservative churches give me money? Because I need to like freaking feed these hundred families that we have. And so being here puts me more in touch with that reality. Here's right. another one. We were serving uh, almost 200 meals um, warm meals. We take them to the homes of the different families that are in our program, and we love to serve them and 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 feed them. And it's good food, and it's healthy, and it's fresh, and it's been. But we serve it in these freaking, you know, those. Sometimes you get it in Chinese food, those styrofoam white. Oh yeah, yeah. You know those plates that yep. are covered. Those things are horrible for the environment. Right. I I love I love I don't want to use them. And if I was more, if I was outside of this context, I'd be like, why is a nonprofit that's like really like progressive and affirming and, and really cares about climate change? Why are they using those styrofoam? Just we can't effing pay for the nicer ones that are decompostable. Right. Right. So being here in this context puts me in touch with the reality that a lot of the conversations 
that our progressive friends would have, liberal friends would have, they are privileged conversations mm. that can be had because we're living in a place of privilege. And all that to say, living in a colony without so many of those, both privileges and rights, it just, it, I don't know, it's, it, it's kind of a different, it definitely is a different experience. And hopefully it leads me more into being part of those conversations, but maybe with a sense of grace and flexibility and willingness like to walk the journey as we started. I, I was part of that, right? So I've, mm -hmm. I've needed people to walk the journey with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it reminds me of like the importance of like holding all these things together, you know, yeah. having like a personal justice issue, like your neighbor not being able to eat today and just yeah. trying to like, I, I don't care where the money's coming from. I don't care where the meal's coming from. <laughs> this person just needs a meal today. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also recognizing that there's a bigger conversation when it comes to yes. institutionally America. Exactly being an imperial power colonizing Puerto Rico and that yeah. creates the conditions for why your neighbor is not able to eat today and we need to be able to address both we need like exactly. the everyday like this person just needs a meal I don't care where it's coming from but also yeah. recognizing America is also creating these oppressive conditions so that's where uh, that is a trillion percent thank you you said it better than me that's where we're at in that tension which is necessary for the day-to-day -day, um, which is hopefully leading us towards more of we need to call out what the government's doing we need to be part of the march and we need to we need to be meeting with these senators we need to be putting some pressure we need to call out right i guess we need to call out the sin of the oppression mm -hmm. and the right and so we are trying to be that the day-to-day -day relief work and the how do we how do we how do we see this place poverty in this place in 30 years down the line and so Going back to that first question about Puerto Rico, I won 100. I personally 100% believe in Puerto Rico independence. I the the best way for me to personalize it would be, and maybe some of the listeners could understand, if you had a stepfather who provided right for the family, but he made sure you knew that you're not his son or his daughter. He made sure of that. He made sure that you knew that he had other kids who were his favorites. He was kind of abusive to your mom and kind of abusive to you. You know how it is. I guess thank you for the house. But as soon as I can, I'm out of here. Like, why right. would I want to be part of a family that I've never really been part of? That's the best way to kind of emotionally personalize mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how it feels to be a Puerto Rican and why I do believe in Puerto Rican independence. That's a great analogy for it. So you do so much in the world. You've, like I mentioned before, you've written a book. You're already writing another book. You do all this great nonprofit work. You're living in, in Puerto Rico doing this great work. You're doing so much. How do you hope your work inspires and liberates those who engage with it? That's great. Yeah, it's a combination of people like you who I, I don't have to like kind of walk on eggshells with some of these conversations about being affirming, about decolonization, whatever. It's so great to be able to have the opportunity to speak to people, your audience, a platform to share about my lived experience, the lived experience of my neighbors, how we're trying to address them. And yet at the same time, the other side of the coin is the people that are not there. How do I make room here without, without putting that pressure on me that I need to fix them or heal them or sort mm. them out? But again, going back to what I really believe, I do believe in the open table. I do believe in the invitation of the gospel is everybody can sit here. Everybody can be changed here. Everybody can be loved here. And so that combination of spaces like this, where I could just relax and be myself and share what's happening 
and yet taking some ownership because we do have teams that come right so that sometimes problematic sometimes toxic thing of the short-term missions because we need them we need the funds the resources the hands of volunteers so i'm exposed to half of the other side of the coin where it's a bit more conservative a bit more like whatever let's just preach and evangelize the good thing is because i'm a local person who is a local leader of a local organization they're coming to my world it's actually like we've seen some like great transformation at least open right open hearts open minds and i think it has to do a lot with food man and i i really i know it sounds funny but the gospel has so much to do with food and Mm -hmm. like eat my Mm -hmm. body drink my blood sit together let's at the table right like the whole thing of inclusion of the table and so i don't i want to be and i talk a lot about this I, i i share a little bit on on twitter like I want to fully call out the oppressor without becoming oppressive myself. I want to fully like say to hell with these systems that are destroying human beings without never losing hope for the people in those systems to the great liberation for them, right? Would be to, and that's part of the liberation theology, right? Mm -hmm. God has a preferential treatment for the poor. And it's because it's the best thing he can do for the rich. Mm -hmm. Like he's not just fully like the rich to hell with them. Right. It's actually the best thing for the rich would be the liberation of the poor, the open of the eyes right. of the blind, proclaiming the favorable right. year of the Lord for the poor. So yeah, when when Jesus um you know calls the the wealthy in, in the few stories that Jesus encounters the wealthy, the few mm-hmm. times where he calls them to give the up their possessions, you know, to give yeah. everything to the poor, that yeah. actually is a liberatory act, not only for the poor, but for the rich. A hundred trillion times, a hundred trillion times, and and you know there's stories like I'm 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 kind of uh, I'm I'm annoyed that most of the people that I know personally who are wealthy have become wealthier in the last two or three years, and everybody that I know that has lived either right on the poverty line or below it is poorer now than they were two years ago. Mm-hmm. That's the reality, and so. I want to be part of those conversations about that income inequality, again, a colonization in Puerto Rico and the other places around the world, uh, what's happening in Ukraine, in Yemen, what's happening, right? I want to be part of those conversations. And just I just want to keep hope because if I'm thinking of the older lady who's going hungry, who we're having to feed, part of her getting more help would be more of these people who are the oppressors having a change of heart mm. to change systems that would bring the help. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm just trying to keep my heart sweet in the, in the fight um, and just having hope for all, which sometimes is not trending, but whatever, it's, it's the reality here. And I guess right. because I'm here, I have to have that hope. Yeah. It's, it's what you're living on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Trying. Last question, Carlos, how can listeners get connected to you and your work? That's lovely. Everywhere on social media, at the Happy Givers. From MySpace. No, not MySpace anymore. From (laughs) Facebook to TikTok. (laughs) Tumblr. I was reading the other day how Tumblr was sold by like $1.6 billion to Yahoo. And they just had to resell it like six years later for like $3 million. Really? It's it's crazy how these trends come and go. We're on TikTok because we have to be. Yeah, everywhere at the Happy Givers. And yeah, the happygivers.com for the actual store. So the clothing is made here, it's shipped out of here. We have our whole team that's doing most of it here, not all of it here, which is helpful for us um, and for our employees. 
and happy NPO for nonprofitorganization.com. If people just want to come to Puerto Rico, want to give a donation direct, a 501c3 official donation, um, that's important to you. That's where you can do it. And anything, all it's welcome. Honestly, we just actual human beings coming. That's our favorite part because when you see it, when you smell it, when you look at it, when you're part mm -hmm. of it, you can't beat that. That's when people really get involved. It's more of a lifelong partnership after that. Um, but if you can't, just a donation, buying a shirt, it all helps. Lovely. Well, Carlos, thank you so much for what you do in the world. It's so great to finally chat with you. And yeah, I, I really am going to take I up know. that offer. I'm going to come to Puerto Rico someday and you we're going to have some food. Have uh, I'm a big foodie. So you take me to okay, all your good. favorite spots. And I'm so the excited. Seafood, brother. The seafood, oh. the fresh food. You would love it. You would love Sounds it. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Carlos. Thank you, Mason. If you'd like to connect with Carlos and his work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Menega. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates. <laughs>